Hide your, your kids. kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous, dangerous podcast. podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Matt Charney Unchained, everybody. You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined as always by Chad Sowash. And today we are so lucky to finally have Matt Charney, industry icon, as a guest on the show. He's got a new job, which we'll get to in a second. But Matt, four years in the making, you're on, you're finally on the show. What What are your thoughts? And for those who don't know you, what should they know about you? Welcome to 1950s radio. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I would actually put it in the 40s when they were serializing everything because they actually have TV now, right? Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, my name is Matt Charney. Uh, last name is C-H-R-N-E-Y. If you are in recruiting, you should be able to Google and find out a bunch of information about me. But I am a, a longtime listener, first-time caller, as it were. But I have been working in the space for a long time. Um, I have blogged snarkily, uh, maybe a little bit too much, um, for over 10 years now. And my major uh, areas of what, interest what's, are... What's the cease and desist letter count up to now? Oh, my goodness. Are we including LinkedIn? Sure. Of course. Uh, hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> there you go. Hell yeah. I've, I've kept a lot of product councils very busy in my time, which is cool. Um, because one of the things that I'm really, really like passionate about is making sure that good recruiters have good products and don't buy things like eHarmony. So. <laughs> The eHarmony for jobs or the Tinder for jobs, which uh, we've we've evolved into. Soon to be Bumble for jobs, I think. What? Can we, can we Bumble for jobs now? Oh, about Grinder. Let's Grinder for jobs. Grinder for jobs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Grinder for jobs is what you're no longer allowed to do in the entertainment industry. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Matt, you got a new job, man. Tell us about it. I do. So, I have the very official sounding title of. Director of Product and Industry Marketing for Smart Recruiters. Ooh. And so... That is sexy as hell. It is. I like that. Yeah, I'll put that on a t-shirt. And make it an appearance. No, <laughs> so... And if you want it on a t-shirt, I'm sure that could happen. So, um, essentially, uh, you know, what I've done for God, longer than I care to admit, so let's say at least 10 years now, is covering the industry from all different sides whether that is from working with startups to help, you know, accelerate their revenue and valuation to working with big professional services organizations to define tech stacks to uh, overseeing partnerships and also covering news and other stuff. So um, I really, for a really long time, resisted giving up my, my product neutrality, which is why I joined Allegis, right? Because they, they don't have uh, necessarily a whole lot of skin or at the time. In yeah. the product game, but I realized in being vendor agnostic that certain vendors kicked a lot more ass than the others. And so, one company <laughs> that I've been working with largely throughout my entire career is Smart Recruiters. And I think I first tried to get a job there when I was still recruiting daily. And they're like, "No, no, our customers are going <laughs> to leave en masse." Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been a company I've followed for a long time. I'm really, you know, from a product perspective, nothing in HR tech is really that sexy, right? 
But when it comes down to it, it, it's about people and mentality. And I think that the combination of challenger brand status, so uh, a willingness to shake things up, the fact that you know they have really been a pretty big advocate from both a grassroots and uh, you know cut and checks uh, perspective for a lot of the different events and programs, and then also the trust that they gave in me, both as a you know as somebody who's done some project work for them, and then just uh, you know on the scene. For example, while I was getting yelled at by my old employers for things that I tweeted, smart recruiters gave me their Twitter access. Says, come come come, uh, live tweet. Our, our user conference under your account? Or, uh, hey, would you like to be on a diversity panel with our new chief diversity officer and three of our biggest customers? So I think that their willingness to let me play in boundaries that most companies would probably find to be uh, antithetical to their go-to-market strategy uh, was definitely really attractive. And I think at this point, they're a big enough company where I'm not going to have to be uh, doing everything, um, but at the same time, early stage enough where I can definitely make an impact on uh, both the product and how that product um, is shaped by the market. Are you doing much writing these days? I am, and okay. you're not going to see. You're not going to see a lot of it quite yet. But um, I am uh, starting to build the pipeline again. So I have 102 posts that are sitting waiting to be published, and the question is where. And that I how, need to answer. How do you do 102 posts and not, they don't turn stale on you? No, Evergreen Content's the, you know, I actually have <laughs> wrote, published. You wrote them eight years funny. ago. I did. That seems to, to be boring though, because it's so broad. If you can't like zone in on something that's happening right now. So you don't, you don't see that timeliness is important. Like, so what's the hottest topics? Like if I uh-huh. go talk to recruiters, you're going to tell me, uh, probably you'll add to this list. Candidate experience, the gift that keeps on giving, except to candidates, <laughs> right? Like nothing has changed there. <laughs> DNI, big imperative. Let's talk about that to the exclusivity. Well, now it's DEI. So now all your D and I, so you're going to have to go back and do a, a, a freaking uh, word switch. I, on I believe that. it's actually DEIB plus now. Oh, but, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, either way, that's a that's a find and replace. Tips, but, <laughs> tips to get the most out of your job description. <laughs> right. Functionally, uh, that conversation, the solutions and the things that people are covering haven't changed. I benefit somewhat from both the stasis of this industry. And um, fortunately, since Joel Cheeseman stopped putting out written content uh, from being <laughs> in a position where most of it's quite stale. So it becomes more tone and style uh, than substance. Although really a lot of what I write about that never gets attention in the industry uh, is aligned towards consumer technology trends. And so people think I'm brilliant then when five years later, uh, you know, it enters into the <laughs> HR, the HR sphere. The, the bar is pretty low. The bar, the bar is pretty low and generally outsourced. Yeah. Being, being in an industry that moves at a snail's pace, I understand where you're coming from. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think as long as Taleo still has an overwhelming amount of market share, <laughs> um, I can continue to find, rip and replace uh, old stuff. You were great at, uh, at, at RecFest in London last year. Every, everyone, including Chad and, and myself, was talking about innovation and new, new shiny objects. I go to your, your session, and it's all about how awesome CareerBuilder and Dice <laughs> and Craigslist still are. And yeah, I'm thinking, you know. Damn it. He's right. Like, people are still stuck in that time. Your feedback from that session, uh, if I recall, 
was I don't think job postings are an accurate leading indicator of where the economy is going. So ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Take that, cheeseman. I don't think that was my feedback as I remember yeah, it. Yeah, because that seems way too smart to be cheeseman. I had a few drinks by that point, so I'm not yeah. sure. Oh, okay. So talking about, talking about events, and that was actually, I mean, shit, that's, that's well over a year ago. We have a, an event that's supposed to be coming up this year. LRP is doing, you know, a, a live event in Vegas. Was it uh, September, August or something like that? Are people going to go back to events this year or are they going to have or will they have budget to do so? I think I think the vendors will. They're they're hungry. They're thirsty for <laughs> yeah, fucking. Yeah, they want to sit behind that trade show booth and scan badges, right? Um, so, I, I to answer that question, I long have you know looked at from a marketing perspective what the ROI of these trade shows is from a vendor perspective, and I'm not sure that even prior to COVID, a huge business case could be made for the impact. Uh, that it makes versus the dollar amount resources that go into it. Now, I was never going to buy the ham that fed me because I, I you know, got to travel all around the world and not really work and speak to big audiences. And that was really fun. But, you know, when you look at sort of really any agenda, uh, I, I'm guilty of being this. You have a lot of the same people talking about a lot of the same stuff. It may or may not align with the audience. But when you look at it from like, what's what's the purpose? Okay, it, it, it sometimes can be good for brand awareness and category creation, which is a big fancy way of saying own and share voice. But when you talk about the major spend there, which is like a trade show or an expo or sponsored content, whatever, you're basically talking about like a display ad, which could not be less productive if you look at it than anything else. So if I'm in a booth, I'm waiting for people to maybe walk by maybe show interest, and then maybe qualify them enough to scan their badge. And to me, what is the purpose of spending that money when I can do the exact same thing, but targeted and digitally? So I really have long questioned why people go to trade shows. And the answer that I came to is it's not the content itself. It's the ability to one, get out of the office, something I think we all desperately need right now. So maybe there will be uh, a little bit of an early ramp up there. But more importantly, it's it's the stuff that happens, as you guys know, around the individual sessions, the interactions you have in the hallway, uh, the people you meet when you're outside having smoke breaks or cocktails or or whatever. And it's really building on on relationships you wouldn't have had otherwise. So until that goes back at scale, I don't see that events are going to ramp up anytime soon. You're and, and I, you know, I'm sure you're seeing this, too. A bigger shift from these broad kind of global everyone come events to much more localized events. And and I do think that that actually is what we're going to start seeing a lot more of highly targeted, smaller, uh, smaller attendance and content that's much more focused on um, that audience and building a network as opposed to selling a message or product. Have you seen Miami here lately? The, the the streets full of crazy, crazy people kids. and yeah I, I think you're 100 wrong I think as soon as we get a chance to get the fuck out people are gonna say yes I need a I need a reason to go to Vegas or I need a reason to go here yeah will will, will there be more hybridization happening with local and also online yeah uh, I think there will be but uh, dude I think that we are so ready as human beings to go to Miami and just get freaky and crazy it's it's going to happen it's going to happen 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the very end, you know, as I alluded to at the very first part of it, I think that, uh, you know, my question is how sustainable is that when your resources are strapped, professional yeah. development's being cut and you're trying to justify days off work when that's being heavily scrutinized. Right. Uh, so I think that, yes, you're probably right. Timeline wise, there's a lot of economic questions that would still need to be answered. Joel calls it the roaring 20s are coming. Isn't that, is that right? I'm Joel? not the only one. I'd love to take credit for that. But no, <laughs> I've, I have to not come with that. I, I, I mean, I agree that I think the vendors have money, you know, budgets to spend. They're going to yes. go back. I think the people like us who are, quote unquote, thought leaders or influencers will, will definitely go back. The question is the attendees. You know, they're going to reevaluate. Did we really get anything out of that that we can't get off that we can't get from a virtual you know, virtual conference or even video library or education somewhere. And I think they're going to ask hard questions as to whether or not they should keep doing it. Local ones are obviously easier from a budgetary standpoint. I don't, I just don't know. You know, I know recruiting daily has been trying for a while to do local stuff. <laughs> I know John Sumpser tried, you know, local stuff for a while and they all, they all seem to fade away. So I don't know the, the, you know, the viability of that business model versus the, we have a huge conference twice a year that everybody comes to Vegas or San Diego or wherever. I think it's hard to scale locally. It, it is. And you, but, you know, seeking to probably our next conversation. Uh, sure. <laughs> their local, their local chapters have always done a really good job of organizing that. I, I think your distinction is, is it an event company that's producing it to make money? Or is it something like a local user group for a specific software? Those are very, very different strategies, in my opinion. And let's face it, like LRP is always going to bring in like a bunch of attendees because the attendees are vendors looking for partnerships. Yeah. Yep. Let's, t let's talk about tech real quick in adoption, because again, we do move at a snail's pace in this environment, but yet you went to a tech vendor, number one. Number two, <laughs> I think scalability and adoption have increased dramatically just in the last shit nine to, to, to 12 months around the pandemic. Do you think that continuing at the same pace? Uh, do you think it was adopted any faster? What, what's what's the outlook? Um, so if we're talking about uh, like recruitment technology, I think that uh, you've had a lot of companies being able to take a step back away from a product release cycle that's client defined. So, mm -hmm. oh crap, we have this RFP, check a box, build for that. And really more looking at, at capability gaps, being much more strategic about partnerships, because you have this whole subset of companies that are like, oh, we integrate with this and this and this. And it's like they have an open API and a developer center. So you don't really integrate with them. But cool, you get a splash of logo up there. Um, yeah. But what I think has really accelerated has been more towards things like collaborative hiring, structured scorecards, virtual interviews and just consolidating the hiring process as much as possible so that not only is it virtually enabled, but more importantly, that um, total cost of ownership is being driven down. So what you're seeing is, uh, and this is one of the reasons I joined a, a tech company, frankly, it, where I did in the value chain, you're seeing really good numbers and growth around platform. And then you're seeing a huge amount of failures MA consolidation or devaluation, if you look at debt financing, um, among the point solution vendors who oftentimes will either be built into a company's roadmap and then there's no need for, for that native solution, or just companies are saying, hey, you know, we're cutting down on the amount of spend that we have 
uh, externally. So we're going to go for the core capabilities as opposed to the flash. And I think nowhere will you see that more in like a recruitment marketing, which is essentially gone from a inbound sourcing function to a PR function for a lot of organizations that have flat or decreasing headcount. So where do you see a company like HireVue, which is just a large ass point solution and they have a shit ton of funding, where do you see them going other than toward becoming an applicant tracking system? More Alio purchases. Wow. You had to go with HireVue, didn't you? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. So first off, I would have to go find some golden plates and then transcribe <laughs> them uh, based off what the angel Moroni told me to do. Second off, I would have to figure out the difference between AI powered uh, facial intelligence recognition and uh, acting, right? Yeah, but they're not doing the facial stuff anymore, are they? So all, all that tech is down the fucking drain. Yes, and why aren't they doing it? Because they did not lose a employment rights lawsuit. They lost a civil rights lawsuit for that product. So you can have all the cash in the world, and they do, thanks yeah. to the, the elders of Zion. Not my Zion, but you know, <laughs> the other one. You have a company that, as far as I can tell, had complete run of the market by being one of the earliest enterprise video interviewing you know, uh, solutions out there. And you have a company that seems to me to be largely trying to find a direction. Take all that back and it tells me this. Well, video interviewing is not a category we should have been investing in in the first place. And as we saw when everyone was had to overnight move to like, oh, shoot, we have Zoom. Oh, we have Microsoft Team. We have the it's like, OK, well, there are a lot of cheap or low price options out there. Is this something we could do ourselves or something we need? So while they can continue to redefine themselves, their core capabilities, I think, have always been misaligned to the market. And you're certainly seeing uh, that pivot as again, companies start to look at consumer grade technologies and say, hey, why the hell not? So they're fucked is what I'm hearing. Okay. No, no, they're 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 not. They get their own planet once they die. So uh, that'll <laughs> oh, be coming wow. up soon. Wow. So you're talking about technology and, and the world is opening back up. Where, where are you seeing in terms of uh, headcount for recruiting teams as, as we start to hire more? Are they going to bring more human beings on or are they going to use more technology and bypass the humans? So I don't think it's actually an either or. So what my data shows, and this is uh, limited to the access that I have, uh, namely surveys, uh, we've seen about one third of recruiters in the United States lose their job over the past year. I don't think that is unexpected, given what we saw like 2008, 2009. Um, what we did see then is like every company is like, oh, hiring's picking back up. Crap, we have to hire a bunch of recruiters and sources and marketers. So what I think you've actually seen over the past couple of years, call me out if you think I'm wrong, is that companies have been investing fairly heavily in things like recruitment process automation, um, not AI, but you know, RPA, consolidated tech stacks, and sort of um, ways to take back office processes and really remove that from uh, the overall workflow. So I think you were kind of left with two groups. One of these groups has already sort of implemented a lot of the core tech or have a good system um, that, that's really configured for them. So they're not spending all day dip dispositioning resumes, manually posting job descriptions and all that stuff. And those people, I think, actually have job security and haven't lost their jobs. Those are, these are the two thirds. So when you have people who've implemented uh, a lot of either automation solutions or built processes that are, that are real efficient and effective, 
what they've largely done is been able to pivot to things that are generally out of recruiting's uh, scope uh, since headcounts went flat or down. And that's things like internal mobility, upskilling, um, hypo identification in a lot of cases. Obviously, DNI is coming uh, into this. Oh, and yeah. so you're really starting to see a blending of what used to be tr- more traditional HCM uh, with TA, but with the end goal of being a, a much more strategic. Uh, I think that the word that tech likes to use is trusted advisor, as opposed to somebody sitting in a, in a centralized service, you know, slating candidates and, and, and manually submitting them to hiring managers. As opposed to distrusted advisors? Well, there are quite a lot of those. They <laughs> generally work for uh, third-party staffing firms. But, uh, and then the people who were order takers or who, you know, were spending uh, gosh knows how much to send templated LinkedIn messages like, I came across your profile, I think you'd be great for the cyber coders position. Uh, they, they weren't <laughs> going to be long for this world, uh, whether or not a pandemic happened. And so what you're seeing is sort of a natural flush out between those who do and those who process requisitions. Darwinism, basically, is what you're saying. Survival of the fittest, but with androids, right? <laughs> We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. Andy, if a company wants to actually come to Next and utilize your database and target texting candidates, I mean, how does that actually work? Right. So we have the software to provide it two different ways. If an employer has their own database of opted in text messages, whether it's through their ATS, we can text on their behalf. Or we have over eight and a half million users that have opted into our text messaging at this point. So we can use our own database. We can dissect it by obviously by geography, by function, um, any which way. Some and sometimes we'll even parse the resumes of the opted in people to target certifications. So we really can you know dive really deep if they want to hone in on you know just give me the best hundred candidates that I want to text message with and have a conversation back and forth with versus going and saying I need 30,000 retail people across the country. And that's more of a, you know, yes, no text messaging back and apply. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. You would actually, I think you tweeted out uh, something about uh, our, our buddy uh, Johnny Taylor over at Sherm joining ICE. Mr. Johnny C. That is, uh, that's an interesting marriage, shall we say. <laughs> ISIMS, what, what do you think ISIMS was looking for through that type of, was it a board position? Yeah, he's a member of the, new to member of the board of directors. Why? Good question. So, obviously... Uh, I think that this is a company that is very traditional in East Coast. I don't. You guys have been to their headquarters in yeah. Bell Labs, where uh-huh. cell phones were invented but no longer work. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. 
you know, <laughs> I'm sure that you took a beautiful trolley tour of, of Red Bank, New Jersey. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're owned by private equity. So I see this as being very much aligned towards uh, making an upmarket play uh, so that they can say, oh, we're not uh, a startup anymore. We're enterprise ready. And not only that, we'll see how the conflict of interests work. But Johnny C. Taylor brings two things. One, a giant organization of people who generally don't buy recruiting technology in the first place. So I'm unclear of that uh, alignment. They rubber stamp it. But more importantly, uh, I think for them, he brings quite a few political connections that the three people on this call might not love. But like it or not, he is the go-to HR and jobs expert for such fine people as the, you know, the Republican National Committee in USA Today. Yeah, so we can expect like a Trump visit to Bell Labs sometime soon. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah. Or, you know, another recruiting conference at Mar-a-Lago, which I think could happen from Florida recently. <laughs> oh, Near God. Miami, where the party is, everybody. <laughs> are you are you bullish or bearish on Sherm? I'm a little confused. I, I don't know why Sherm still exists, other than the <laughs> fact that most of their membership hasn't died yet. Well, their local conferences, according to you. Their local conferences are, again, um, those are volunteer run. <laughs> They're not affiliated with the national organization and they kind of, you know, have, have a little bit of autonomy for how they run. When I look up to the national organization, they are set up as a, uh, as a nonprofit, which is, which is really funny if you look at how much their board of directors get paid and about how much revenue they clear in an average year. Um, but they're set up as a lobbying organization. They do a scant job of that. And if you ever ask them for uh, they'll have a portal that says, okay, here's what's going on on their website and available to members. But if you ask, well, what's your stance on this? Or what are you telling members uh, as an example around, you know, increase in minimum wage? Um, they say almost unilaterally, Sherm does not have an opinion on this. And we advise our, our members to do nothing. So what you have is the shell of the lobbying body uh, with pretty decent beltway access, but at the same time, trying to serve a really disparate amount of members. And so I honestly think that Sherm is going to basically become irrelevant sooner rather than later. Because as you know, there's a whole new generation that has been coming up and a lot of challengers, uh, both on the conference side, as well as the you know professional organization side uh, that have been a little bit more relevant. And so I see Sherm continuing to have all of the Karens uh, gather to get real drunk and, <laughs> and watch Toby Keith uh, or, or Hollow Oats, which is one of the better, uh, better conference things I went to. Um, also a little on the nose, probably with the man eater stuff. But um, I think you, you know, you have to go back to the Hank Jackson days when, when Sherm chose a CFO as opposed to someone in HR to really understand what they're about. And that is about making as much money as possible to reinvest in their various entities, obviously as a nonprofit, and essentially have vertical control over our industry. I wish more people realized that they also set HR curriculums yeah. and schools that offer HR degrees build to their yeah. competencies. It's the funnel, baby. If we're talking about monopolies, yep. it is a monopolistic way for them to essentially codify uh, HR and build a dependency. Mm -hmm. The question is, is it the best thing for the profession? And if you've ever been to a SHRM event in the last three years, you know they're still talking about getting a seat at the table. 
And that tells me that that seat has already disappeared. That seat doesn't exist because they come up with stupid metrics that nobody can fucking understand. Overall, though, and we're just talking about like the, the Sherms of the world, certifications have been almost like their life's blood. The, the individual membership certifications. Do you see that going away? I, I can't imagine that most people in HR have an HR degree in the first place. So does that, yeah, there is a pipeline there. Is it really that big of a pipeline? Well, more on HRBPs and, and certainly a lot do because, you know, if you look at Sherm Young Professionals, the organization I was involved in when I was eligible, um, essentially, uh, yeah, you know, you have a, a, a quite a lot of those programs and a bunch of very unimaginative uh, let's say 18 to 25 year olds, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, be a human resources business partner. Well, at that point in time, like, you're not going to change all that much. But, um, you know, I think that when it comes to certifications, they've already made their move, which was a- them and HRCI shared a building. Uh, HRCI had a very thorough and uh, long lasting uh, certification program in which they were certifying Sherm, which by the way, I think is important to have as a third party entity to credential uh, your own professional organization. Obviously, they essentially said, hey, screw you. We're offering our new certification. And it's not even a traditional certification. It is is competency based. And if you look at the competencies, it's things like business communication, right? So my thought is, if you're a competent person, you probably don't need SHRM. And if you're relying on Sherm to tell you what competencies are, God help you. In in 2005, Jerry Crispin told me I should join Sherm because I marketed a product at the time, and I still do, but to HR, and I never joined, and I don't think it impacted my business in, in any way whatsoever. And my guess is he's probably not telling people now that they need to join Sherm as a participant in the community. No, no, but he will definitely make an appearance at every Sherm conference. He can sure. procure a bottle of red wine. Love Jerry. Love Jerry. So I want to pivot to tech for a second. You mentioned marketplaces and, and we talk about that a lot on the show of how every ATS wants to be the the one the one <laughs> ATS to rule them all. What's your take on marketplaces? Who's doing it right? Who's who's doing it wrong? Why is Bullhorn still charging to be in their marketplace? Like what What's your what's your take on that, especially now that you're on the inside? So, you know, one of the big attractions for me, and uh, here's me selling my product. I actually think Smart Recruiter has done a phenomenal job on Marketplace because they... Of course you have. That was, that was a big motivation for me joining, to be honest with you, because I play with so many different vendors um, and have for so long. Um, Smart Recruiters, obviously, they have over 600 Marketplace uh, integrators, and they're really generally companies that I like. So, and they do a lot of co-marketing with them as well, which I think is important. Um, so I, I think that that plus the open API uh, that we have so people can build on the instance, um, that, that was a big attractor for me. Um, they also, you know, let me judge at a bunch of their startup competitions. So the fact that they're actually fostering innovation in-house and helping some of these companies grow is pretty, I think, exciting for me, as is the fact they're on a global scale. Why is Bullhorn doing anything? You'd have to ask Art Pappas. Uh, kudos to them for staying relevant to this conversation. But, you know, I think that the companies otherwise who are doing, quote, marketplaces right, and this is why I say look at consumer technology, look at companies like uh, Amazon, Salesforce, Microsoft, um, the companies that have the most ability to integrate with the most amount of products within their core workflows are going to win. 
I don't know if ultimately that's going to be an HR uh, solution, which generally sends to sit at either a software or platform level, or more likely an infrastructure level, which is going to then kick it more towards a consumer and enterprise technology. So, so I'm glad you brought up Amazon, uh, who's been under a lot of criticism lately for you know seeing what sells in the marketplace and then making their own private label products. Yeah, the LinkedIn approach. <laughs> Do you think the platforms are, are smart enough to like make those decisions about, okay, who should we buy? What should we build? Or is it just at this point, we just need a platform because everyone else has one? I think that really depends yeah. on the sophistication of the platform and capability gaps. I don't think there are a whole lot of cases I can think of where corp dev is necessarily at the, at the steering wheel when it comes to M&A, um, just because you're talking largely about uh, VC-backed companies. And uh, or PE. And so, you know, in the case of uh, job bite, you know, you have K1 coming in, slapping together four different technologies and saying, here's a platform. So I, I don't know how many companies are, are positioned to essentially say, here's our M&A strategy. Here's our work chests and, and let's start doing due diligence. The one company right now that I think there is an exception of that is actually uh, our good friends at recruits. Well, okay. So talking about recruit and indeed, it seems, seems like indeed's throwing a lot of shit at the wall, which I mean, you've got a lot of money, you got a lot of money. So, okay, go at it. But it doesn't seem like they are doing business like indeed does business. Uh, and that being the Trojan ho- horse version, what do you think, what have you seen? And, and what do you think is, uh, is interesting from, from what they're doing or is there anything at all? So what's really interesting to me, actually, is this recruits such a big conglomerate. They actually uh, control about 98% of all HR or recruiting transactions in, in the Japanese market, which mm-hmm. is like the third world, uh, third largest world economy. In fact, they had a uh, insider trading scandal, which took down the entire Japanese administration. So they're basically like the Yakuza uh, of this industry, <laughs> right? Like that scene in Kill Bill where everyone's flying in with, with knives. That's their corp dev team, right? Um, but when you <laughs> when you look at a breakdown of like Indeed's revenue versus recruits, uh, they make up a significant, significant part of it mm-hmm. without violating an NDA or being overly speculative. I think Indeed is in a whole lot of trouble because of the fact that they don't, in my mind, have a great answer for what happens when Google shuts them out of their ecosystem. Um, They're very heavily reliant on, you know, uh, on cookies, beaconing, and, and then, you know, that system. So once that goes away, I, I am very, very curious to know um, what their product is. I can tell you that in addition to their, like, third iteration of the staffing business, they are spending more money than probably Condé Nast right now on creating content. So you're saying you didn't um, like their Super Bowl ad. <laughs> like it was perfect for them. It was their brand promise. It was like mediocre, forgettable, and <laughs> you know, maybe effective, but you know, how could you measure it? I felt good for about eight seconds. I felt warm and fuzzy for about eight seconds. Yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, I think it's really funny because I don't know that anyone has ever gotten deal work and been like, yes, I have a job. 
because I don't think the product actually does that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think that's an, a good symbol of a company that is spending to figure out what works yeah. as opposed to doubling down on some core capabilities that they're going to need to figure out in order to overcome for the 80 to 90% of their traffic that's originating at Google is about to shut them What off. should they do with Glassdoor? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what should they do? Well, they're integrating them a little bit more than they had in the past, only because Glassdoor, as it turns out, employee reviews weren't generating a huge amount of traffic for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it ended up not fulfilling the holes in search or product capabilities that I think they're looking for. And additionally, you have a lot of altern- like more niche alternatives to Glassdoor um, like in her site, uh, is an example. Um, I probably name, name a few more if I had my computer fairy open right God now. Boss, well, fairy God boss. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, so I think that all reviews being alike, their generalized approach has proven a not to work Two, There's a huge amount of distrust on the buyer side. Um, that that's a, that's a legacy issue. And I don't know that it's been fully engineered into the, into their product for whatever reason. So I can't necessarily go in and, and buy uh, an amalgamated package uh, of these two things. I'm buying a separate glass store and a separate V contract, or at least the last time six months ago I tried to do so. So I think that they have a very active corp dev team right now asking, who do we buy to try to fix this problem very quickly, like MacGyver it. And then you have a product team saying, uh-oh. What about Facebook and Google? Do you think they're going to get this jobs thing right at all? Or are they just going to keep fucking around with it? And just it's going to continue to sputter and Indeed's going to stay where they're at? Well, uh, so Facebook, I do not see getting into the job game with the because they can't target, right? They've already lost that federal lawsuit. So they can't target job seekers as a specific category if they're advertising. Not well. They can target, but no, not well. No, they legally cannot target. Well, I mean, well, the, the current product, what you can do is you can actually pick. It's like it's, it's like setting up a pretty much a job search agent, right? So it's it's the old version in Facebook. So you can pick stupid. It, it's horrible. Just put it that way. Right. But it's still That's- there, but it's still there. And so is Open Graph, but God knows yeah. what, where that happened. That was really awesome. But I, th- I think Facebook, largely, when you look at their job staff, their capabilities, I'm going to guess, not being that connected, that their approach is going to be uh, just disintermediating job applications for you know uh, fractional sense on a click. Because what they're doing is they're just largely redirecting using connectors to corporate career sites. And I think that'll continue. I don't see them probably ever hosting jobs that aren't just kind of like one-off gigs uh, that would fit more in the marketplace. Uh, I do see them indexing a lot of job listings. But other than Facebook native apply capabilities, which is just Facebook Connect, which is getting shut down all over the place, uh, I don't see them making a huge move into that space. Watch me be proven wrong by a big announcement in two weeks. Google (laughs) is really interesting. So obviously... You know, Google Hire came and it went and Google Jobs similarly was sunsetted as a revenue source. But if you type in any sort of variation in jobs in Google, you're still getting the exact same product, which tells me that they're building a giant data set to essentially own all of their on-site job advertising. Because why else would you be collecting this data and disintermediating it if that is no longer a product you plan on selling? And you've already said that you 
are making a switch so you can't target individual users. I think that Google uh, is going to end up winning this battle because guess what? Uh, Once all of their data points are in there um, and once they switch their algorithm to prevent uh, tracking and deduplication, which puts indeed a great deal of trouble, um, that's going to be the only source that is indexing all of these different job sites. I think they have a little ways to go in terms of building their, uh, you know, building their, their the way that they integrate with like corporate applicant tracking systems in order to display jobs. So I think they have maybe half of all the available jobs on the internet right now, but I can tell you with certainty that they are working aggressively to fill in those gaps particularly when it comes to integrating with direct employers. Interesting. So I'm going to throw in LinkedIn here. Uh, We talked about them this past week about being more of an aggregator. Obviously, we're seeing companies like SeekOut being better people search engines and, you know, collecting more interesting data and also being quite a bit more cost effective. Like where, where does LinkedIn fit in this? And if you, if you ran the company, what would you do differently? Um, If I ran LinkedIn, I would be on an island somewhere with Reed Hoffman sipping daiquiri or collecting my Microsoft stock. Uh, so here's, it's interesting because I just see LinkedIn as being a targeted ad product. So they've built this brilliant uh, sort of publisher business where, you know, oh my God, I have 715,000 people who viewed this post. It's like, that statistically can't be true. But I think people have gotten <laughs> into the habit of publishing all of this content on LinkedIn. So, you know, it used to be like I'd have a personal WordPress site, I contribute to another media site. Now everyone's just posting original content on LinkedIn that targeted ad space can be sold around. So Microsoft is, when I say Microsoft, LinkedIn is essentially empowering their community to validate themselves professionally by giving them free content they can target advertising, which is, which is not a bad move because when you look at you know, this is going to shock you, but the top 10 most visited websites in the world, four or five of them are owned by Microsoft. So once you kind of triangulate all those, you have a really powerful ad network that could potentially emerge as a competitor to Google. You've been well known as a, a social media, uh, I don't know, contributor over the Poor, years. You're, you're... <laughs> I, I would say troll. <laughs> Can we go troll? What are you seeing on the social media side, either from a, a user of social media or a recruitment tool that, that excites you, if anything? <laughs> well, if I was the Chinese government, my answer would be much different. Bite dance, bitch. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, Clubhouse having the exact same problems. Yeah. And and then Snapchat, as we all know, uh, the funny fallacy there is, oh, my data disappears as soon as the post does, <laughs> which is, you know, why they're worth billions of dollars. <laughs> Here's the uh, TLDR. If you look at source of higher statistics, I've always and then the, most of these largely actually include LinkedIn as a, outside of the recruiter product, which was fairly effective. Social media in the 12 years we've been saying this is going to be the next great thing for recruiting has never, ever been more than three and a half percent of all hires. So uh, what's the network that's out there? That's that I, it doesn't matter to me because I just don't think that unless it is an individualized one on one communication between like a recruiter and talent, which is I, Twitter is still a great platform for that, particularly for like recruiting tech. It doesn't matter because. If I have a choice between like, you know, watching somebody 
uh, skateboard to make fleet with dreams while drinking a cranberry juice, or I have a choice to see uh, somebody talk about how you too can be a million dollar earner uh, at my recruiting firm. Like I'm not going to watch that content and it doesn't historically convert uh, very well at all. And, and we can say now, I hope, with great certainty, it does not lead to hires. Matt Charney, everybody. That's right, people. Head of industry and product marketing and some other sexy-ass title he uh, he came up with. Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate talking to both of you. And for those of us who don't know Matt or already follow him, where would they go, Matt? Uh, smartrecruiters.com, of course. No, um, <laughs> at Matt Charney on Twitter. And if you want to read some of the really old content, uh, that is going to be new again uh, as a sneak preview, uh, mattcharney.com, uh, <laughs> formerly one of WordPress's top 20 business blogs in the world, back when Matt mattered. Oh, yeah. Can't beat I love that shit, guys. You got to come back, Matt, at some point. And we got to <laughs> see you soon face to face. And But until then, we out. We out. Word. Thank you for listening to what's it called? The podcast, the chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses. And not one word. So weird. Anywho... Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.